All right, so we're continuing in our series this, um, this morning on sex, or rather on dating. We're talking about sex. And uh, our, um, this message is going to feel like we're going to go to the dentist's office. It's going to be uncomfortable, but necessary. Pick me up, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm calling this message, The Talk. Uh, let's, let's have the talk. And let me go ahead and put it out there. Any problems you have, please email me at keithrichardson <laughs> at alcf.net. Keith Richardson, alcf.net. Pick me up in verse 12. Paul says, the guy who wrote this name is Paul. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. By the way, that phrase sexual immorality, Paul's writing in Greek. The Greek word for sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, from which we get the English word pornography from. But the idea of pornea, it, it, is, it is a junk drawer term that speaks of any kind of sex outside of marriage. Amen? The body is not meant for sexual immorality, middle of verse 13, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? The, the, the Greek word there for bodies, very, very interesting Greek word. Greek word there for bodies is a, it's a, it's a, it's a very nuanced word. Greek word there for bodies, it means body. <laughs> Shall I then take the members of Christ to make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, and he's quoting from Genesis 2 here, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. I love this. Underline this one. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I want you to relax. We won't have the talk. But turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, this is a grace place. But you will be a little uncomfortable. 
Let's have the talk. Last weekend, I was, um, I was preaching at Laguna Beach. I, I, I promise you I was preaching there. I wasn't. <laughs> they asked me to preach, and I prayed about it for like two seconds, and the Lord led me to go, because people at Laguna need to hear Jesus too. And um, while I was there, I, I, was, I was surprised because the conference I was at, my favorite New York Times columnist and one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of uh, David Brooks, if, if you ever get a chance, um, if you read the New York Times, he's my favorite columnist, a guy by the name of David Brooks, wonderful believer, by the way, David Brooks so happened um, to be speaking at the conference there. I started to say he was speaking with me. I was speaking with David. And... And in one of his columns, David is, is writing about dating, and this is what he says about dating. Look at it with me on the screen. Now, young people face a social frontier of their own. They hit puberty around 13, and many don't get married until they're past 30. That's two decades of coupling and uncoupling, hooking up relationships and shopping around. I, I, I love this. This period isn't a transition anymore. It's a sprawling life stage, and nobody knows the rules. Once, young people came a-calling as part of courtship. Then they had dating and going steady. I remember, anybody ever call it going steady? Anybody, anybody going steady? I, I see a lot of seasoned saints raising, raising their hands. But the rules of courtship have dissolved. Listen, they, they've been replaced by ambiguity and uncertainty. Cell phones, Facebook, and text messages give people access to hundreds of friends. That only increases the fluidity, drama, and anxiety. Now... Now, some of you may be wondering, Pastor, why are we talking about sex? Well, a couple reasons. One, the Bible talks about it. Talks a lot about it. But two, our world talks a lot about it. Every day, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, my, my wife and I have three boys, every day I'm reminded that the world is not bashful in their attempts to disciple my children in the area of sex. They're not bashful. It's one of the great ploys of the enemy. The world's loud about it, but the church don't talk about it. So we've got to talk about it because as we talk about making, making disciples and, and spiritual formation, this is just a huge part of who we are. We, we have been made, among other things, as sexual beings. So we've got to talk about it. The result of our world talking a lot about it, I, I, I want you to look at these stats, is astounding. 95% of everyone who gets married has already had sex before they've gotten married. That is, that is not a statement of condemnation. That is a statement of fact. Um, 
A, 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 girl, a, a girl walking down the aisle in a white dress used to mean something. Now it's tradition. 85% of everyone between the ages of 18 to 23 have already had sex. So we've got to talk about it. We, we've, we've, got to, we've got to go there. We've got to go there. So today, I, 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 I want to come at this because um, the punchline of this message is not stop having sex. That's not this message. This message is not don't have sex because God says don't have sex. That's not this message. But I want to draw you in to what I believe is one of the most profound theological and philosophical explanations of sex in all of the scriptures. And it's found right in our passage. Uh, singles, this is going to hit you right where you live. Married folk, for multiple reasons, this should hit you, hit us right where we live. For those of us with kids and we're trying to disciple them and we're trying to have healthy conversations about it. We need to be taking notes because I don't know what it means to disciple a 16-year-old, 14-year-old, 12-year-old without going there and talking to them about sex. So what do I say? As Paul sits down to write, you need to understand this. And I don't say this to be crude or, or whatever. But by the way, before I actually go there, I should have said this earlier. If I had to slap a rating on this, on this message, it's somewhere between PG-13 and R. Um, so if you've got kids here, um, I'm not saying anything to you. I'm not, I, I, whatever I'm going to say to you, I've already said to my kids. Um, but I, I just want to give you a chance. If you want to lift up the proverbial finger and tip out, I, I, we, we more than understand. As Paul sits down and writes, you need to understand he's writing, as hard as it is to believe this, to a world and a culture the first century Roman world was infinitely times more sexually depraved than our world. So I, I, I just want to put to notion this, this thinking that the world is getting worse. If, if you knew some of the stuff they were into, it would turn a black man red. Uh, for, for example, I... I, I, went to, um, I went to Israel years ago, and part, part of my trip over there in Israel, I went to a place called Caesarea Philippi, and in Caesarea Philippi, you walk in, there's this huge rock platform, and, and they used to hold something there called the Festival of Pan. I can't even tell you 90, I can't even tell you 9% of the stuff they were into, but, but at the Festival of Pan, right there on the rock platform, a quarter of a million people would gather in the city, and on the rock platform, they, they would watch priests having sex with women, having sex with other priests, having sex with goats. It was a sexually depraved society. Uh, the Romans in first century world, they, they were into something called pederasty. Some of us know what that is. Pederasty is grown men sleeping with boys. That was legal and socially acceptable. 
first century Rome, every city was like Vegas, where prostitution was not only legal, it was expected. In fact, in fact one, one leading Roman voice of the day said he found it unbelievable and unacceptable that a married man would not engage in relations with prostitutes. In fact, at, at all the temples, a part of your temple worship, and I'm not talking about the, uh, the, the, the temple to God as seen with the Jews. I'm talking about all the Roman pagan temples. They had temple prostitutes where a part of your worship was sleeping with prostitutes. In fact, the temple at Corinth had 1,000 temple prostitutes at your neighborhood. As Paul sits down to write, he's got a problem. Because Paul, word has gotten back to Paul that these newfound believers, some of them, are still going to the Roman temple and having sex with prostitutes. Some of the Christians who were at the church who weren't having sex with prostitutes heard about some of the Corinthians who were part of the church who were having sex with prostitutes, and they confronted them on it. Now, I want you to look back at verses 12 and 13 of our text, because if you look back at your Bible, verses 12 13, if it's a good Bible, what you should see there are quotation marks. Paul opens up by quoting the Corinthian believers' defense who were having sex with prostitutes. And here's what they were saying. All things are lawful for me. Get the picture. They get confronted for having sex with prostitutes. Their rebuttal is, all things are lawful for me. In other words, if Caesar's okay with it, then get off my back. Second quote. Not only do they say all things are lawful for me, but their second quote is, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. So that what they are saying here is, hey man, when you get hungry, what do you do? You eat. When, when, when your body craves something, you satisfy the craving. Well, I got a sexual appetite. And it needs to be satisfied. So now Paul picks up the pen and he writes a whole passage dealing with this. Watch it. The undercurrent to both of their arguments, all things are lawful for me, food is for the stomach, stomach's for food. The undercurrent here is, here's what they're saying, get off my back, it's just sex. Hey man, what, what are we talking about? It's a natural desire. It's just sex. Paul says in verse 18, no, sex is never just sex. Look at what he says in verse 18. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the pornea, the immoral man, sins against his own body. Uh, and I'm going to come back in a few moments. We're going to unpack that in a very powerful way. But here's what I want you to understand in the meantime, in between time. What he is saying here in verse 18 is, don't buy the cultural lie that sex is just sex. There's a lot more to sex than what you think. 
So the same lie they were, t- they were telling back then, our culture is telling today that sex, I- I- I'm just laying down, it's just a little fun. It- it's, it- it's, 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 it's just a physical act. Now, let me work on that. Some of you are here today. And you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm so glad you're here today. And maybe you were here because your girlfriend said, now I heard my pastor's preaching on sex. We can't sleep together no more till we hear this message. And you said, what time's church? Let me hurry up and get there. I'm glad you're here. Seriously, I'm glad you're here. Now let me close my Bible for just a few moments. Take off my pastor hat, my, 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 my preacher hat. And let me just have a conversation with those of you who are here and you would not call yourself a Christian and you think sex is just sex. If you were to tell the truth, you intuitively know there's something different about sex. A couple years ago, there's a movie that came out called Monster's Ball. Halle Berry won the Academy Award for it. What you may not know about this movie that has this intense sex scene is that Angela Bassett, the actress, got offered the part first. And Angela Bassett turned it down, and in an interview, she said, she said here's why I turned it down, I couldn't do that to myself. Listen. She didn't say, I just couldn't do that to my body. She she said, no, I I couldn't do that to myself. It ain't just sex. I want to be real careful in how I say this, and I say this in utmost sensitivity. For those of you who say it's just sex, here's what you would never say. A person comes to you, And they said, can I tell you something? 20 years ago, when I was a little boy, my uncle raped me. You would never say, was your body healed now? Physically, are you you better? It was just sex. You would never say that. Or a woman comes to you. She confides about a date rape situation. You you would never say, are you healed now? Are you better now physically? It was just sex. Well, why is it that a woman, when she gets mugged, she can call police right away, but, but rape, she hesitates. In some cases, delays. Some cases, never calls. Wait a minute, I, I thought they were both just physical acts. No, there's something deeper happening there. Or why is it in marriage, the deepest form of betrayal isn't lying. 
cussing or gossiping, but it's giving your body to someone else who ain't your spouse. Wait, wait, wait. I thought it was just sex. Or why is it that when a person says, hey, man, I got to tell you something that I've never told anyone else before. That the overwhelming majority of times that is sexually related, what is it that tethers oftentimes our deepest sense of shame with sex? So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even walking through the Bible just yet. I'm just saying what you already intuitively know. So let's strike that lie. Laying down ain't just laying down. Now here's the problem. When I buy into the lie that it's just sex, here's the problem. I now reduce sex to a consumer good. It's quiet in here. When, when I buy into the lie that it's just sex, I now minimize and reduce sex to a product. To a, to a consumer good. And, and now that makes way for men. A, a man will manipulate. He'll lie. He'll tell you whatever you, want, whatever you want to hear. Not because he's concerned about you. But he, he wants the products you have. One of the saddest things I ever read. It was, it was in a non-Christian book. It's a book on, on, on cohabitation. This non-Christian woman said she was shacking up. And some of you are here today, and you're living with someone who's not your spouse. This is a grace place. I want you to say that's not God's, God's will for your life. But here's what this woman said about cohabitation. She said, every time we had sex, it felt like I was auditioning for an engagement ring. Keith Richardson at ALCF.net. What is she saying here? And a lot of women do this. Can I go here? If I don't give them some, someone else will. And I don't think I need to break down some in the Greek. What are we saying here? What that woman is saying here is, He's got a product I want, relationship. In order for me to get that product from him, I've got to exchange goods. And of course, when sex becomes a consumer good, I don't know if, we, if this, these words have ever been said in the history of abundant life. Now we make room for masturbation and pornography. 
wait a minute, wait a minute. It's, if it's just sex, I got needs. Food is for the stomach, stomach's for food. I got these needs. So let me quick go to this website. Pleasure myself. And, and, and I love when single men sit in my office and here's a lie these single men say, man, it's a struggle pastor, but I promise you, once I get married, I'm going to have sex about 20 times a week. That is not going to be an issue anymore. And I want to say, brother, I, I love your aspirations. <laughs> and women, please don't say amen. That ain't happening. In fact, I hate to say it, I, I'm doing a lot of counseling with married couples where pornography is whittling away at their intimacy. And one of the most devastating things that a man does to his wife who's hooked on pornography is you now bring unrealistic expectations that she can never live up to. It's like reading a book and then going to see the movie. The movie can never live up to the book. So let's be honest. Sex is never just sex. What does the Bible have to say about sex? If I were to take you on a 35,000 foot perspective on the Bible and sex, I would say that God has three meta narrative, three overarching purposes for sex. I don't have time to get into all of them, but one of those purposes, I won't even put it at the top of the list, but one of those purposes are procreation. God says to the first married couple, Adam and Eve, he says, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to subdue and I want you to fill the earth. I want you to have a lot of kids. Procreation. Second purpose for sex is simply pleasure. Pleasure. God says, I want you to have fun. I, I remember when I first heard about sex, I was about nine years old, I was at a Cub Scout meeting. And I'm sitting down next to my fellow Cub Scout colleague. I'll never forget this. And he starts talking about sex. I asked him what sex was. I don't remember a thing he said except for this one line. He says, Brian, sex is better than a cheeseburger. Now, if there's one thing I know, he didn't lie about that. Lord have mercy. Whew. The Bible says some incredible things about sex. Things that will, that will, that will make you turn red. And for, for example, if you write down, now every man should write down Proverbs 5, 19. In Proverbs chapter 5, the, the writer of Proverbs says, look, I want you to drink well, I want you to drink water from your own well from your own well. And one of the things he says there is, I want you let your wife's breasts ravish you. Well, well okay then. <laughs> my, my favorite is found in Song of Solomon chapter 7 verses 6 through 9. Look at it with me on the screen. This is what Solomon says. I love this. He says, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I like this. I say I will climb the palm tree. <laughs> I don't think I need to break that down in Hebrew. God is saying, I've created sex. I've given you the gift of orgasm. Have fun. 
play, explore, enjoy. And I need to hurry up and finish this message so Sister Loritz and I can go home. But God is saying, enjoy and have pleasure. You should have fun. God is not a prudish God. He's for our joy. Now, if you're going to clap, clap. I just talked about sex and fun, so let's just, don't golf clap that. That's a amen, hallelujah, speak in tongues. If you need to speak in tongues, that's a good place to have a praise break. So sex is for procreation, it's for pleasure, but here's what I want you to see. The number one purpose for sex is that sex is not a consumer good. It's actually a covenant gift. Sex is not a consumer good. It's a covenant gift. Now, this is a little grotesque, but it's, it's true. If you were a Jew who got married in antiquity, here's what would happen. On your wedding night as you were consummating the marriage, your parents and the bride's parents would be standing right outside the chamber, And when you got finished consummating the marriage, they would expect you to bring the sheets and they would examine those sheets and what they were looking for was blood. Now, why is that important? Because the Jews saw sex as covenant making. If you read through the Bible, one of the things that should strike you as you just make your way through the scriptures is that whenever there's talk about a covenant, there's always blood. The Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 17, God has Abraham kill a whole bunch of animals. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, whenever you went to the temple to offer sacrifices, you were renewing your covenant, and you renewed your covenant by offering a sacrifice, which means you killed it, there was blood. If you're a Christian, you are partakers in the New Covenant, and the way that happened was the bloody cross when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. The Bible knows nothing of covenants without blood. So that's why God's ideal is that on a wedding night, a bride's hymen is broken. And that blood on the sheets is the ratification of a covenant. So you need to understand what what communion is to the believer Sex is to marriage. When you take communion, you're not getting saved. You're renewing your vows. And every time my wife and I engage in sex, we are, we are renewing our vows. When there is the removal of clothes and the joining of bodies, what we are fundamentally saying to each other is, you have me completely. God designed sex so that we never do physically what we are unwilling to do comprehensively. To give my wife my body, but to not give her my heart, the totality of who I am, 
is a misrepresentation of sex. It is relational fraud. That's why if you look back at our text, he says these words in verse 16. Do you not know that he who is joined, who is joined, who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? That, that phrase, who is joined, is one word in the Greek. It means to stick together. It, it means to adhere. It, it means to glue. Here's what he's saying. Every time you have sex, you've made a covenant. You've, you've attached. You've, you've made a deep covenant, a commitment. There's a, there's a connection here. Now, one of the promises I'm, I'm making to Abundant Life as its pastor, I'm going to be real, I'm going to be transparent, I'm going to be vulnerable. If, 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 if you want a pastor, um, if you want a pastor who, who, who just wants to be on a pedestal and wants you to think he's perfect, that ain't this church. Praise God, my wife and I abstained from having sex with each other um, prior to our, our wedding day. But I just made some foolish choices with other people up until that time. Let me tell you what you already know. I was, I was preaching several years ago at this church. Not this church, another one. And I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, as soon as I walked in, I saw a young lady that I had done something foolish with way back in the day. Hadn't thought about this girl in years, haven't talked to her in years. And when I saw her, I felt something. What I felt was not, you're so cute, we ought to get back together. I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it, but what I felt, the best way I can put it was, there was a connection. And, and, and again, let, let, let me just say, and ushers, you can feel free to, feel free to help me out. If... If, if, if we, we love babies. We absolutely love babies. But, and we've got a wonderful chapel where you can catch the sermon. We just want to be careful not to distract people from the hearing of the word of God. And so what I want to tell you was there was a connection. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You saw the person on Facebook. You ran into him at the coffee shop. You ran into him at the restaurant. There was a connection. It's not just sex. 
when you join bodies that stays with you. As we round third and head for home, Paul saves his most profound statement about sex in verse 18. I love the tenor of our passage because, again, Paul is not saying, don't have sex because I said so. He's not saying, don't have sex because God says so. Look at what he says. He says, here's why I want you to not have sex. He says, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Hear it now. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. You know what he's saying here? Don't have sex outside of God's will. Why? Because it hurts you. He says, there's something unique about sex. Every other sin outside the body. But the immoral man sins, sins against, sins against his own body. It, it hurts you. If you've ever had sex outside of God's will for your life, whether it was a one-night stand or it was, in a, it was in a relationship, and that one-night stand ended, that relationship ended, here's what you told yourself. I got to move on. Happen, I'm going to move on. Now, here's the lie you told yourself. It, it, it really didn't matter. Paul says, that's a lie. You sinned against your body. Sex hurts you. Well, How? If you get nothing else I say, I want you to get this. As sexual encounters increase, relational intimacy decreases. If you get nothing else I say, get this. As sexual encounters outside of marriage increases, your ability and capacity for relational intimacy decreases. And this is huge. Because part of the reason why God created humans as a rare handful of species who can copulate face to face is because God has given us the gift of sex to foster relational intimacy. My friend Andy Stanley says this. As sexual encounters increase, your potential to experience sexual intimacy decreases. Consequently, you undermine your own capacity for intimacy. Divorcing sex from a committed relationship ultimately diminishes the significance of sex within a committed relationship. If you were just a body, that may not be the case. If sex were purely physical, that may not be the case. But you are more than a body. And sex is more than physical. So imagine a person has a sexual encounter outside of God's will for their life. And this encounter, let's say, is is visualized by this towel. 
encounter happens, and I'm specifically placing it over my heart, happens, one night stand, move on. It was a relationship that didn't move, work out. And I move on. Then I come across another person and we have sex and one night stand, committed relationship. That didn't matter. Move on. Then I hook up with this girl at a bar one night, man. It was just, we were a little drunk, laid down. It's, it's just no big deal. Then I move on. And Corey, come here. Then I fall in love with a girl. We get married. Here's what I want you to see. I bring that with me. Now hear me. Some people call these soul ties. They are, they are barriers to intimacy. You can work through it, but what you can't do is ignore it. Okay, honey. Paul says it's not just sex. You, you entered into covenant. And you took those covenants into marriage. So what do I do? The punchline to this message is it's not stop having sex. Although Paul says that, flee sexual immorality is what he says. But, but if you leave here going, got to stop, got to stop, stop the internet pornography, stop sleep around, stop. That, that's like saying, I, I, I'm just going to go on a fast. Why are you fasting? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going to stop eating food. That's going to last for about 24 hours. But if a person says, I got to make dietary changes because the doctor told me I need to drop 20 pounds, my cholesterol's high, my blood pressure's high. Well, now I've got a goal. Paul ends the message, and here's what he says. I love how he ends. He says, here's your goal. Glorify God, not just with your heart, not just with your spirit, not just with your soul, but glorify God with your body. Why? Because God didn't just die for your heart. He didn't just die for your spirit. He didn't just die for your soul. He died for all of you. And it includes my legs and every aspect of who I am. He wants it all. pastor friend of mine was, was preaching and wasn't even preaching about sex, but he had one line in there talking about abstinence and he, he gets to his office a couple days later, turns on the computer, there's an email from a young lady in his church. 
young lady in the church says, uh, I'm a single mom, and I want to talk about one of the things you said in your sermon. They set up a time for them to sit down. She comes in. She looks late 30s, early 40s. She shares her story. She's recently divorced. She's got a teenage son. She says, look, 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 let, let me just cut to the chase. She goes, I was married enjoying sex on the regular. Now I'm single. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm having sex now. Your statement about abstinence, that's for my child, not for me, right? Pastor says, no, that's actually for you. She says, I don't think I can do that. He says, let me ask you something. Has having sex outside of God's parameters bettered your life or complicated your life? She bowed her head and she says, it's complicated it. He says, next question. Would God create a good gift and give it to you in order to complicate your life? No. They talk and she leaves and a couple weeks later he sees her around campus there church campus. She's with a group of friends. He goes, how's it going? She smiles. A lot less complicated. As Cormac and the team comes, tough stuff. Tough stuff. One of my favorite parts of 1 Corinthians 6 we didn't even talk about. Paul, right around verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Neither fornicators nor adulterers, nor gossips, nor greedy. I'm just quoting him. Nor homosexuals shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then I love this. And such were some of you. Were. Some of y'all are here today, and you ain't aware you are is. You've, for some of us, it's not even a struggle. You, you are doing what you're doing. I began this message by saying this is a grace place. But I long to pastor a church that invite is-is and see God transition them to words. Paul says, Paul says, I'm looking out. And, and I love the list. He lists a whole lot of stuff. It's as if he's going, yeah, yeah, I know your struggle. And you were that. And you were that. And you were that. And you were that. Now, your that may not be my that. And my that may not be your that. But all God's people got a that. 
We've got an issue. We've, we've got a struggle. And my God, if you can't be real about your struggles in the house of God, I don't even want to be a part of that church. This needs to be a place where we can go, I'm struggling, man. And I got about, you, you, you could add about 25 more towels. That's just where I'm at. So I want to pray. And a very specific prayer. Because I'm with you in the struggle. I wish God would have waved a magic wand. And I wouldn't struggle with women anymore. I struggle every day of my life. And I got to lean on God's grace every day of my life. Now I know you've never heard a pastor say that before. But I got to lean on God's grace. Every day I got to lean on his grace to be aware. So I'm first at the altar today. Because I need daily prayer. If you are here and you're saying, here's, here's the call. Pastor, I am struggling with what you talked about today. Some messages will talk about gossip. Some message will talk about lying. Some message will talk about cussing folk out. Some messages will talk about anger. That ain't today's message. Today, you're going, I am seriously, seriously in need of prayer in this area of sexual immorality. Would you join me here at the altar? 